Festival medley. Festival medley. Can you hear like a drip? Yes. Yes, so can I. <laughs> this is riveting content. <laughs> Listening for a drip. It happened almost immediately after you said it, but I haven't heard it again. Maybe it's maybe it's dripped out. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for asking. No worries. Are you enjoying your school holidays? Yes. Excellent. Are you enjoying your full-time workload? I know. Back working full-time for the first time <laughs> since March 2020. It's very she strange. She the money. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's work, right? It's work. Just yeah. like every other year of your life. I do enjoy a bit more of a mixture of working from home rather than oh, being shit, in the office yeah. every day. If there was a way that teaching could be just like a little bit face-to-face yeah. and a little bit online. yeah. Alas. I'm only in the office two days a week, which is great. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. That is really good. Yeah. And I think that that hopefully will be the case for a lot of people post-COVID since people have had to get set up working from home. Yeah. They can do a bit of a mixture. It's something to look forward to actually is the new world order Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. It'll be, I mean, obviously Australia, we're already kind of there. Yeah. But yeah, we should see what happens with the UK and the US. Uh, hi everyone! Welcome to my favorite musical, the podcast. <laughs> That's Josephine. That's Ruth. Um, yeah, this podcast is about musicals, but we also talk about work-life balance and um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the structure of uh, how people work from home and in the office. Yeah, so um, you're here because you are interested in musicals. So are we? And so are we? <laughs> this is the musical where we tell you about our favorite. This is the musical. This is the musical where we tell you about our favorite podcast. How does it go? How does the song go? Which one? The musical where we tell you about our favourite podcast. Musical. Look, I'm not at my best currently. (laughs) You're too relaxed. (laughs) I am quite relaxed. Yeah. Got a massage the other day. Oh, jealous. I keep like my voice keeps cracking. Maybe I'm going through like late stage puberty. I thought you were going to say early stage menopause. I'm one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) It's more likely to be fair. (laughs) At what age does it become more likely, I wonder? You know, it is like possible in your 30s to go through menopause. Wow. I say bring it on. I'm ready for the next stage. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ruth, uh, do you have an apology for us? No. Do you have a spotlight for us? Yes. I'm wondering if maybe we've picked the same spotlight this week. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. No, not spotlight. Content recommendation. I'll get there in a second. How funny if we have. I looked at the wrong thing. Anyway, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell you my spotlight. Yes, you tell me yours. Okay, I want to talk about Lorraine Hansbury. A couple of weeks ago we were talking about, like, the badass women who sort of were pioneering in the Broadway world. Yeah. So I want to talk about Lorraine Hansberry, who is one of the OGs, like a proper badass. She was a playwright and writer and the first African-American female author to have a play performed on Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah, the very first. So her best-known work is A Raisin in the Sun. I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that's what she wrote, yeah. Yeah, an incredibly famous play. Yeah. But um, she, oh, she's just such a tragic character, so I can't remember what I was I was researching another spotlight when I came across her and I was like, oh, shit, yes, like we've got to talk about her. But she had just like a really sad life. So she was married to um, Robert Nemiroff. Okay. Who is a, oh, I think he was the guy who owned the rights to something. 
Right. That's maybe triggering, triggering my memory. But he's this, like, Jewish um, songwriter. Yeah. And they were married, um, but she was a closeted lesbian. Right. Um, who some people say, like some historians say, she contributed to a number of gay rights publications during her life. But after she died, her ex-husband, because they divorced, um, he, like, sealed up all her writings. Oh. And it wasn't until he passed away that, like her works were her like personal journals were released and it was very clear that she was gay. Right. Um is that why he sealed it up? Is that the impression? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um she died when she was only 34 of pancreatic cancer. Oh my god. Which is just so tragic. But yeah, she was a, like a proper pioneer yeah. in so many ways like so yeah, she'd um a lot of her works are just about segregation and living as a black person in America. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about, you know. What, what year was it that, that oh, it was on Broadway? I should have written it. I think it was like the 50s. Yeah. It's um, Raising the Sun is being done at Sydney Theatre Company later this year. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's in the, oh, that's fantastic. the second half of this year. And I've never seen it on stage, so I'm super keen to see it. Yeah, let's go see it together. Definitely. That, yeah, no, it yeah. would be awesome. But, yeah, she, yeah. What a great person. Awesome. Mm. Um, my spotlight today is talking about the newly announced Broadway revival of Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. Nice. Um, which was announced recently. So it's it was basically a father-son Holy Ghost musical by Melvin Be- Van Pe- Peebles. Sorry, I want to say his name right. <laughs> Melvin Van Peebles. Yes. Um, and it was based on several albums that he had he had released. And it's basically it's a musical. It was on it was on in the 70s on Broadway, but it's a series of 19 politically outspoken, darkly comic and sexually charged musical monologues that explore the negative aspects of African-American street life and the ghetto experience. Oh, wow, cool. So it ran for 325 performances on Broadway in 1971 and it was nominated for seven Tonys at the 1972 Tonys but sadly didn't win any. (laughs) Um, That was the year that Follies and Grease lost the best musical Tony to Two Gentlemen of Verona. Oh, my God. Um, And ain't. Um, Supposed to Die a Natural Death was the other show nominated for Best Musical that yeah, year. That wow. was the fourth show. So um, the revival is being reimagined in collaboration with Melvin's son Mario Van Peebles and it's going to be directed by Kenny Leon, who's an incredible African-American director. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to link to the performance at the Tony Awards, which, um, of course, because it was 1972, is a nine-minute-long <laughs> performance at the yeah, Tonys because they always were back then. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's quite – it's quite, it's like really quite gra- – it would have been amazingly groundbreaking work at the time and to think that it's still so topical and relevant exactly so yeah so the producer basically was talking to Kenny Leon who's a very established director mm. and just sort of said you know what show do you want to do and he'd done it in college yeah wow. um and just said I think it's always been like my destiny to do this show mm. and 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 just yes felt it was very prescient and that's why they're doing it wow. so yeah so that's due to open on Broadway in 2022. Is there any place that we can like interact with the material apart well, from that Tony's there is a real cast recording but I couldn't find it like on Spotify or YouTube or anything, okay. but I do think it exists. So okay, maybe so you, you could, could buy, buy it. it. Yeah. yeah right. Like a physical copy. Hmm. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, so that's Ain't Supposed to Die Natural Death. Lovely. Thank you for yes, that. No worries. Um, now I want to talk to you about, for our theatre explain, I want to talk about the 11 o'clock number. Excellent. It was so weird because I usually am the one coming up with the topics for Theatre Explained and it's getting to the stage where I don't really have any more topics. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to phase it out. Yeah. But this one I was like, oh, shit, yeah. Like yeah. we mention the 11 o'clock number often. Yeah. But I don't think we've ever explained what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, Tell us, Ruth. Yeah, so basically it's a theatre term for a big show-stopping song that occurs late in the second act of a two-act musical Mm -hmm. in which a major character, often the protagonist, comes to an important (laughs) realisation. And it was named, and I actually didn't quite realise this, but back in the day the show started at 8.30. So late. Yeah, and so, you know, it would often occur around 11 o'clock. Can you just imagine now still being in the theatre, like the show hasn't finished at 11pm? I mean, to be fair, that's happened to me several times, but But I will say that's like a, that's right because it's like a four-hour show or yeah. whatever and it tends to be more plays than musicals yeah like if you're going honest. to see angels in america that's expected yes but yeah like more and more we're starting shows earlier and earlier now but it. it didn't occur to me that it was because they started at 8 30 and that was two and a half hours in kind, yeah. of kind of thing um and i thought it was interesting that there's actually been quite a few debates debates as to like the characteristics of the 11 mm. o'clock number um generally it it signifies a moment of revelation or change in heart, which is funny because I don't think that's what I thought. Like I don't know about you, huh. but I always just thought it was kind of, well, yes, yeah, sort of like because that dramatically tends to be what happened, but more just like the big moment that happens to the lead character towards the end of the show. Like I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily like, oh, there has to be a dramatic reason behind it kind Interesting. of thing. Interesting, yeah. For me it's always like the crux of the problem of yes. the story is that's what, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah but also um, – like, of course, the difference is that it's not the finale. No. But it also kind of can be the can finale. Be. And there are, like, there are some circumstances where the 11 o'clock number is not the major character and it's not necessarily, um, like, a life-changing event that's no. caused it, but it would still be the 11 o'clock number. And I guess here's the thing, like, we talk about, like, why a song needs to exist in a musical to begin with and it generally is because the character has to be sort of emotionally or physically somewhere different at the yeah. end of the song or the beginning of the song, right? It has to be a journey, So it's yeah. kind of like, well, yeah, of course they have to go through a realisation or change of heart yes. because that is what is happening in a lot of songs in musicals, Yeah, you know? that's fair. It's yeah. like this is the big kahuna of that's the revelations. Right. yeah. But so here are some 11 o'clock numbers and just like, so for example, Rose's turn, right? Which I think is the ultimate 11 o'clock number. The ultimate. Yeah. Completely. So Tick, I agree with that. This one is interesting. Sit Down, You Rock on the Boat is also an 11 o'clock I number. I saw that. What do you think of that? I agree. Definitely and brings the house down. It does, but it's got, like, it's not the main character. It's nicely, nicely. Yeah. But it is a revelation. Yeah. Like, and he has the revelation in the midst of the song yes and everyone's along for the ride yeah and it does sort of trigger the events of the end of the show and it also sort of really gets the crowd going yes. ready for the end of the show that's right yeah. so i think that serves the purpose um memory also obviously from, yeah, from cats, cats like yeah. i'm here from color purple yeah brotherhood of man from um how to succeed was mm. interesting to me yeah because that to me is just like it's a banger of a song. Yeah, it's more that it's a big dance number than anything else, I guess. Yeah. It is a big – and I guess it is kind of his big song in the show. Yeah. But, yeah, that's mm. – it's – I wouldn't necessarily say there's a realisation there. No, I agree. Yeah. The other I think, um, couple I had were The American Dream from Miss Saigon. Yes, for sure. And also She Used to Be Mine from Waitress. Definitely. Yeah. I think The Ladies Who Lunch is also an 11 o'clock yeah, number. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting too because Joanne's not the main character of Company. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually love an 11 o'clock number. Oh, I mean, same. Like, how could you not? Exactly. It's the number. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love them too. So, mm. yeah, that's the 11 o'clock number, everyone. I liked that. Yeah. So uh, what is this recommendation you think okay, we've doubled well, up on? Well, because there's been lots of press about this this week. Has there? The week that we're, that we're recording this and I thought for sure one of these has, like, crossed Josephine's path and she's probably recommending it. I don't think no? so. No? Okay. It's the 50th anniversary of Follies this week. <laughs> and so there's been lots and lots of articles about it. Yeah. I'm specifically going to link to... Um, playbill.com did a retrospective sort of photo retrospective but like that. there's new york times has done some articles about it. like there's been lots of press about the fact that it's 50 years since follies opened on broadway yeah. so i actually can't believe it's been 50 years i know it's crazy yeah and of course because that show is such a kind of retrospective show i think yeah, that's like, partly why it's captured everyone's well yeah because they're celebrating like is it the 50th anniversary of something that they're celebrating or is it just the closure of the oh yeah theater? no i think it's just the closure i thought it was some sort of anniversary as well yeah but maybe yeah, you're right it's it's such a show man yeah great show and that's i think nice. just, although say follies has never been particularly commercially successful here or you know particularly in australia um it does has gotten revived a lot in it that has, time on Broadway. And I do feel that part of that is obviously I really love the show, but I think part of it is the ensemble cast and it's a cast of older people. Like yes. I think it's quite appealing yeah. to have a show that is mainly older people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice big cast. And yeah. Well, because on Broadway as well, you can bring back some real like Broadway like yeah, heavy heavyweights. Yeah. 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 I like that. Thanks, mm, Ruth. No worries. That wasn't your recommendation? <laughs> no, my recommendation is something that I have recommended before okay. and I will forever recommend it. It's Stephen Pasquale singing It All Fades Away <laughs> in the recording studio. Uh, that so video? It's that video. Yeah. yeah, so just go watch that. Yeah. Because, man. I just thought of one thing which I won't link to because people can look it up for themselves. Now, this is only going to be available for a certain amount of time, but Jeremy Jordan did his solo show at 54 Below yes. and everyone said it was incredible and they're releasing it for streaming during May. Um, like you can buy a ticket and they're gonna oh, and they're sexy. gonna stream it. So while that that will still be current news when this comes out. So are we gonna buy a ticket and do a watch I, party? Yes, 100%. I'm so excited. Everyone I know, like the press I've read yeah. about it just said it was like a, like a life-changing show. Yeah. And, of course, it's Jeremy Jordan. Of course. Yes. So, anyway, people, like if you're listening to this as soon as this comes out, you still have time. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ruth. Absolutely. Uh, Ruth, would you like to tell me about a show? Absolutely. What's it? I actually don't know what it is today. Don't you? Nah. I always know your show. Yeah, it's because you're creepy. Yeah. What's up? Oh, what are you doing? She's right. <laughs> So I'm really in my big splashy musical comedy mode at the moment. Yeah, so last time you did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes, and I think I've got a few more to come. Oh, really? So this week it's Hairspray. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, I've just – yeah, tell me what you think. Oh, I just don't know. Is it just not your thing, do you think? Yeah, I think it's too splashy. Like it's too mm. brassy, too colourful. It's just like <laughs> – Too happy. <laughs> I think it is too happy. Like yeah. it's an assault on my senses. You want more pathos in your shows. I do need it. Yeah. I need it. That's as is evidenced by my show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. Um I've just always loved this show. I just think it's it is. because you're cute. It's a great show. It has several great messages in it. Yes, I do very much subscribe to the messages. Yeah, and the music is just really super catchy and fun. Yeah, I like, don't like the music. Like, for me, I think it is definitely Shaman and, Shaman and Whitman's, like, strongest show. Like, yeah. they've had, you know, quite a few and um, uh, yeah, it's just, I really just think it's a really fantastic musical comedy, which, like, even of the shows that we've talked about recently, like, these sort of big musical comedies, I do think it's probably the strongest show 
than those. Even like, more I think than like the producers? Yes, I do. I think that there are things in the producers that haven't aged as well as things in the hairspray. Yeah. Yeah. I think hairspray will age very well as well. Like, yeah. I, I think that will continue to be a good yeah. story, a yeah. good message. Absolutely. Yeah. So Music and Lyrics by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. Um, I don't think we've done one of their shows before, have no, we? No, I'm trying to think, but no. So, that you know, they wrote Catch Me If You Can and a few others. Like they ha- – this is definitely their most successful show. Um, but, yeah, like – yeah. And, of course, they wrote all the songs from Bombshell for Smash. Yes. So season one of Smash, all the Bombshell songs they wrote. And my understanding is that when that Smash musical – moves to Broadway, if that's still the plan, that they are writing the music for that. Nice. Yeah. So it's, yes, that's my understanding. Um, And a book by Mark O'Donnell and Thomas Mann, both of whom have since passed away since this was written, which is sad. I mean, Thomas Mann was pretty, he was quite elderly when he died, but he of course wrote the book for Annie and Mark O'Donnell, I think had, had been like a writer on several different things, but yeah, this was sort of his biggest thing that he worked on. Mm. Um, But yeah, sadly, um, they both, like, in fact, it's sort of weird. Like since I've been researching this show, there's quite a few people who have passed away that were involved in it. Like really? I'm going to talk about one of the major producers and stuff like that. And I, I guess maybe. Were they all just like towards the end of their careers when they did yeah, it? Or? I don't know. Well, that and it was, you know, it was a long time ago yeah. um, that this was on. And um, like it's 20 years um, since it opened basically, like almost 20 years. And so I just, yeah, I don't know. It just that's the way it cookie crumbles. Well, yeah. But yeah, I just more so than any other show I've researched recently. I just like, Oh, and there's another obituary and another obituary kind of thing. Yeah. Sad. Jeez. Anyway. So, um, Hairspray is of course based on John Waters, 1988 film of the same name. Um, so the story, so it is 1962 and we're in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> Tracy Turnblad auditions to be a dancer on the Corny Collins show, her favourite show, but is rejected due to the fact that she's overweight. She meets a black dancer at school named Seaweed when she's in detention. She's in detention, by the way, because her hair is too high. It's like (laughs) illegal hair height. That's what she's in detention for. Uh, And he teaches her some new moves. After demonstrating them at the school dance, Corny Collins himself selects Tracy to be on the show. Tracy then organises a rally about the fact that black performers are not allowed on the show except once a month on Negro Day. Uh, She ends up in jail uh, after this rally and after being released, formulates a plan to force the show to racially integrate. The show is holding a Miss Hairspray competition, like live, and Tracy competes um, and includes Seaweed and a number of other black performers in her act. She wins the competition and declares the show, for, the sh- show, the show forever more integrated. Hmm. That's basically the story. It's awesome. Lots of sort of little things happen in between. There's a there's a love story between her and Link, who's the main yeah, like the main the dude, main on, the dude show, yeah. on the show, like performer on the show. There's her friend Penny, who yeah. has a relationship with Seaweed. Um, there's, so there's lots of like little stories going on but yeah that's essentially the through line of the show yeah um so a bit of history about the show so in the late 1990s producer margot lyon was recovering from a cold and wallowing in the fact that her musical triumph of love had just closed after only three months on broadway and she decided to watch some old movies Mm. one of them happened to be john waters hairspray and she realized that it would make an excellent stage musical she got the rights and approached mark shaman to consider composing 
and she asked him and his lyricist partner, Scott Whitman, to write some songs on spec. All three songs they wrote, Good Morning Baltimore, Welcome to the 60s, and Big Blonde and Beautiful, are all, all remained in the show to the end. Those are the three songs they wrote on spec. Nice. Which is quite – because those are three fucking great songs. That's incredible. Yeah. So that's quite amazing. So the show was developed. It had an out-of-town tryout at the Fifth Avenue Theatre in Seattle before opening at the Neil Simon Theatre on Broadway on August 5th, 2002. God, it is a long time ago Yeah, I know. The production ran for more than six years, closing on January 4th, 2009, after 2,642 performances. I actually thought it was longer than that. Well, I have a feeling there was this rash of closings after the financial crisis hit. Closures. Um, (laughs) After the financial crisis hit. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and so I think, Spring Awakening got hit in that. There was like a bunch. And if I remember correctly, I think that was the that was the time, like beginning of 2009, like winter 2009, it was like eight Broadway shows closed in the one weekend. And it was really just this bloodbath of just shows that would have otherwise maybe run a bit longer. But yeah. yeah. Because yeah, it was it was a massive hit. So it was nominated for 13 Tonys at Mm. the 2003 Tony Awards, winning eight. It won Best Musical, Best Score, Best Direction, Best Book. So, like, swept, swept the Tonys. Um, best Costume Design. It, uh, Harvey Feierstein won Best Leading Actor for um, portraying Edna Turnblad, which yeah. is Tracy's mum. Uh, best Leading Actress for Marissa Janet Winokur as Tracy Turnblad. And Best Featured Actor for Dick Latessa as Wilbur Turnblad. Dick Latessa is another one who recently passed away. It's very oh. sad. Um, for Best Musical, it be Amour. A Year with Frog and Toad and Moving Out. So not mm, the strongest not a year. Not really strong year, actually. <laughs> so, like, no wonder it kind of won all those major awards. Well, it's just head and shoulders above all the others. Exactly, exactly. And I love Billy Joel, but still. Yeah, well, but apparently that was, oh, a, tr- that was a trash show. Yeah. Do you know Amore very well? No, I don't. No, that's one show that people, like, I know quite a few, like, people really love that show. Oh, yeah. But I've never listened to it, really. No, I've never listened yeah, to it. Yeah, so. I might check that out. I, I don't know a lot about it, yeah. Um, the West End production opened afterwards at the Shaftesbury Theatre on mm. October 11th, 2007. It closed on March 28th, 2010 after a run of nearly two and a half years and over a 1,000 performances. So fairly decent yeah, run that's on the a West decent End run, as well. Yeah. It was nominated for a record 11 Olivier Awards at the 2008 Awards and it won four. Best Musical, Best Actor for Michael Ball as Edna. Oh, my God. I know. Best Actress for Leanne Jones as Tracy. Best Supporting Actress for Tracy Bennett who played Velma Von Tussle. Nice. Yeah. Um, that, well, not that production, but Hairspray was due to return to the West End at the London Coliseum for a limited 18 week season from April to August, 2020. However, due of course to COVID, uh, that production was, it was initially delayed to like the end of last year and then has since been again delayed to June. It's supposed to now open on the 22nd of June, 2021. Yeah, right. Um, and run till September. Michael Ball is playing Edna Turnblad again. (laughs) I, I, yeah, it's funny because I, I Cause to me he's not a comedic actor, but I suppose he is kind of silly. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Silly, yeah. He's quite a silly, like, like funny. He did that. He did that. Um, that video clip for Love Changes Everything. So he's pretty <laughs> dumb, clearly. <laughs> but like, I actually. I wonder if he'd be – he might be pretty good. I think it actually could be a niche for him. He like, does – I don't think he takes himself particularly seriously, which yeah. I think is important for yeah. this role. I, I think the only thing that, like – and I'll talk about this a bit when we talk about the film and stuff, but, like, for me the thing that you can never replace with Harvey Feierstein is just his voice. The voice. Like, I know. The voice is so perfect. No one else has Harvey Feierstein's voice, yeah. Yeah. you know. And yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, it's just sort of a weird – 
But yes, I, Although I think Michael Ball has quite a, like a high pitched. That's true. Speaking, it's almost voice. the opposite of, of Harvey Fair. I've seen in that sense. Yeah. Um, so there's been lots of productions all over the world ever since, including a short-lived Vegas run, which cut the show down to 90 minutes. Oh, yeah, you've talked about this. Yeah, times. so that was in that real rash of musicals yes. being done in Mini Vegas. Musicals, yeah, yeah. Um, and a similar ver- – it didn't do very well. It, it was around – you know how I talked about Avenue Q a few weeks ago? Yes. Um, it was around the same time and I, they After closed. what we said about Avenue Q maybe being too racy, I thought maybe Hairspray would – but I just feel like you don't go to Las Vegas to see a musical. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think the ones that did last a while, like Phantom probably did the best out of all of them. Mm. And I wonder if that is because it was kind of like glitzy. and I don't know, it was kind of like you can make that into mm. a casino show because mm. it's Phantom, I guess. It's yeah, sort of a weird like one. World. It's mm. a weird one. But, yeah, no, none of them I don't think have done particularly well, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I think Mamma Mia did okay. But again, it's like, yes, you're in Vegas, like it's an ABBA shot. I get it. Um, And so a similar version to that 90-minute one was performed on um, or has been performed on Royal Caribbean cruise ships for many years. Yeah, of course. Which is obviously quite common, these like sort of cut-down musical versions of shows. On cruises, On cruises. Um, There's also, of course, the 2007 film adaptation, which starred Nikki Blonsky, John Travolta, Michelle Pfeiffer, Zac Efron, Amanda Bynes, Queen Latifah, Christopher Walken, James Marsden and Alison Janney. Great cast. What a cast. Yeah. I think it's actually a fairly good film adaptation, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm not the biggest John Travolta fan in it. Not in this role, Um, no. Just, again, just because I think Harvey Firestein's performance is so distinctive and iconic. I wonder why they didn't. I know, I know. It's like just cast him. I I guess because it was John Travolta. But like, no. I know. It is a real shame because. Yeah, it's quite uh, distracting. Yeah, and like lots of people really like him in it. But Mm. also for one thing, like I'm pretty sure John Travolta, well, yeah, John Travolta wore a fat suit for sure, which like. Harvey Firestein, they almost no. wouldn't have had to, you know. And John Travolta put on that weird voice. Yes, which I think, that's like, right. Oh, why did you do that? It's funnier when it's Harvey and he's down here. Yeah, like, that's right. It's funnier then. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's sort of a weird one. I liked Christopher Walken in the film. Though. He was great. He was excellent. Yeah, yeah. he was great. Um, there was also the NBC live musical version, which aired on December 6, 2016. Harvey Firestein reprised his role as Edna for that mm. one. And it also starred Martin Short, Jennifer Hudson, Ariana Grande and Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, great. Again, cast. I thought it was a, a like of those live musicals. I think it's one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, some of them. I mean, I I do think that in general, like the slightly more modern ones have been better mm. than the sort of like I didn't think much of Peter Pan. I didn't think much of Sound of Music. Like yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these ones where they've actually cast people who can do the roles. Um, yeah, not just like movie stars. Because the Wiz was also really good. And yeah. I don't necessarily rate The Wiz as a show, yes. but I thought that the live version they did of that was very good. I think, too, Hairspray really lends itself to that sort of environment. Absolutely. Um, where the others probably don't. One that was really good was Grease. It's just a shame it's a terrible show. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you even sat through that. But it was, um, it was they did it really well, so it was a, it was a big shame. Do you know what I mean? It just shouldn't, anyway. Yeah. So some facts. So the original film was John Waters' first and only PG-rated film. I just love how you said just some facts as if what you've said before is just total bullshit. Like, <laughs> she's, she's, she's just lies. Just total lies. This is the lies section. <laughs> so worry. Yeah. John Waters' first And only PG- PG-rated oh, film. Of wow. course, because he made these very kind of yeah. racy. 
Um, it, of course, starred his perennial favourite, Divine, as mm. Edna, which is why a man has always played that role, yeah. like um, in Because that drag. was the original, yeah. Yeah. It also starred Ricky Lake as Tracy before she was famous for her daytime talk show. Was she, like, a big girl? Yeah, well, bigger, yeah. And she lost quite a bit of weight when she was doing Ricky Lake, the talk well, yeah. show. I think, like, not healthily, but yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Um, to me, I don't, I feel like Tracy needs to be, she needs to have, like, she needs to be fat. Yeah, I think, yeah. And she needs to have that energy. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, she was definitely much bigger than she was as an adult yeah, kind of right. thing. Um, but, yeah, like, certainly not, like, obese, I guess, is what you would say. Yeah. And to be honest, like, like it's kind of ridiculous, but most of the time now when they cast Tracy, they, they, put, put, a fa- they put a fat suit on her oh, God. most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like certainly, or like they'll cast someone who's like a size 12 and then, you know, <laughs> like yeah, Jesus Christ. Anyway. Um, also super. Re- oh yeah. And Debbie Harry was Velma Von Tussle. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I read something about how there was a big thing where she was going to be in one of the songs on like the, soundtrack but there was all this stuff about her like record comp because of course she's she would have had a deal yeah Yeah. and so there was like i think she's uncredited on some of the songs wow yeah it's interesting um and super randomly the 16 year old actress who played amber von tussle her name was colleen fitzpatrick who you may know better by her performer name vitamin c (gasps) friends forever who sang the immortal one hit wonder graduation in brackets (laughs) friends forever I can see her face. Isn't that random? That is random. So that was like some years later. That Wait, that... her name, Vitamin C's name is Colleen? Colleen Fitzpatrick, yeah. Vitamin C was just like her singer name. You would change it. Like you don't want to. <laughs> Colleen, wow. But like what an immortal song. Well, yeah. Yes. I heard that I... only the other day. I was going to say, I bet it still gets sung. And I just it. remembered my U6 farewell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Um, Jerry Stiller was the original Wilbur Turnblad yes. in the film and he went on to play Mr. Pinky in the movie adaptation of the stage oh, musical. Jerry. You know how they go to the dress shop and – Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So um, – Re- He died not that long ago that's too. That's right. I know. Oh. Should you hear what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> so no, sad. Yeah. Uh, and what an amazing actor. Yeah, what I an love, actor, I love yeah. Jerry Stiller. Um, Ricky Lake also made a cameo in the 2007 film and, of course, John Waters has a cameo as the flasher who lives next door in cool. the opening number. I can't I remember Ricky oh, really? Lake in the film. Oh, she's one of, I think she's in the, oh, now I'm going to get this wrong. But I thought she was in Mum, I'm a Big Girl Now maybe. Oh, right, yeah. Or something like that. Anyway, she definitely has a cameo. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think she also maybe had a cameo in the NBC Live one. That's anyway, awesome. it's like, <laughs> she, I, I like she her. She insists on it. Yeah, I like her. Yeah, I like her too. Um, so we don't often talk about the producers of modern musicals, but I wanted to mention the lead producer of Hairspray that I mentioned before, Margot Lyon. And the, so she passed away at the beginning of, of 2020, um, not of COVID, like um, I, think, I think it was cancer. But she was quite an extraordinary woman, um, often fostering and helping build shows from the ground up over many, many, years so like hairspray was by far her most successful commercial production but she also lead produced and developed jelly's last jam oh wow and also angels in america and and she was quite a big part of direct the director george c wolf's career like like she got him involved in angels in america for example and the fact that at the time god imagine that without him yeah right? right and so the fact that at the time they were 
picking, okay, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I read this article about it where it was like, oh, we're picking a black director and it's got nothing to do with the story oh. was like a massive deal. Like that just wasn't done. I mean, done. we've talked about this. How Exactly. Like, yeah. Wow. It's like, okay, yes, you pick a black director to do an August Wilson play, right? But how preposterous. Yeah. So like that was to, like a really big deal at the time. Yeah, so yeah, so she really like, you know, shepherded people's careers. And, and I, there was this article in the New York Times after Hairspray had sort of become a hit because, you know, she just wasn't ever expecting it to really – she wasn't ever expecting to be like – a super financially successful person from her work in the mm. theatre. Um, and a lot of people talked about her as she was almost more like a non-profit producer but in mm. the commercial world. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to mention her because she did amazing work over her life. Well, I mean, those projects are very socially conscious projects. Exactly, all of them. exactly. So clearly she felt passionate about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, yeah, and also, like, I guess the other thing to mention, and I think this probably came from her involvement, but – like I still follow, you know, say like Shoshana Bean, who was in the original Broadway cast of Hairspray. She was just in the ensemble. Yeah. But like that original cast of Hairspray, they remain close to this day. Yeah. Like it's a really kind of, of tight-knit group. Of, and, and you think about like some of the people that were in it that have gone on, like Kerry Butler and mm. like Laura Bell Bundy both had like small parts mm. in the, like were leads but like were smaller leads in it. And you now, know, just yeah. like even like – um. Uh, Jack, uh, Jackie, Jackie Hoffman, you yeah, know, wow. who we've talked about a few times, like hilarious performer. Like she's like in the ensemble of it, you know, like mm. these people that have really had amazing careers um, and they all kind of came together to do that show. And, and, and of course, even Shoshana talks about like she – she calls Harvey like, you know, like Mama Harvey, like like they he was the real kind of matriarch of yeah. the cast kind of thing. Wow. And Ma- Matthew Morrison, of course, was yeah. Link. Like it, yeah, it had a really quite incredible, incredible I cast. I like those stories. I like the idea of those people just like hanging out together right? now. I know. I really like that. And they do, they often apparently have like reunions and stuff like that. Like it's a, it, uh, and you don't necessarily hear that about Broadway shows no it's just a job for a lot of people yeah and I think that yeah I really like that because to me it's like a big part of why we create theater definitely it's the community communities and families and stuff like that so I really like that about it um so some talking points so I read a really interesting comparison of Hairspray and Little Shop of Horrors Hmm. yeah so both of which have set in the yeah but both of which are set in the early 60s yes and actually have very similar musical sensibilities yes um so it's that you know you think about like that Phil Spector beat is in both of them very Motown yeah all that sort of thing their writers also came up in similar places. Like they kind of had a similar trajectory, except that obviously like Menken and Ashman like went off to Disney and Hollywood and stuff like that while, you know, Shaman and Whitman kind of stuck it out in like the New York scene. So they both were really got their start in the theatres and clubs of New York's East Village in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, wow. And I think like even like I saw this interview with Mark Shaman where he talked about how jealous they were of, of Alan Menken like and their success and, and stuff like this because like it just wasn't happening for them. Oh, no, wow. Yeah, so I just thought that was an interesting comparison. <laughs> um, I was also reminded in researching this show that part of the contracts for Broadway theatres with the Musicians Union is that there must be a minimum number of players in a Broadway orchestra uh, unless there is a special exception given that there is an artistic need for less players. So, for example, on something like title of show. I've never heard of that. Okay, yeah, so I, I, that's why I brought this up because I have had a conversation about it before but, it, yes, it's not something that I no. am that cognizant of. I think because... Huh. 
most of the time now you can either get around it or it's a reasonable number. Yeah. Um, but so, for example, like on something like Title of Show, which was conceived and orchestrated to only have a solo piano the accompaniment, keyboard, yeah. they would have been given dispensation like because it's clear that the artistic reason yeah, is to only have. you can't have a band or exactly. an orchestra. But the reason it relates to Hairspray is because the minimum number of players designated at the Neil Simon was 18 musicians I believe that has actually since been re- reduced to 15 mu- musicians in the wow, years since. That's still a lot. So they had four on-stage musicians, which was Link on guitar, Penny on harmonica, Velma on keyboard and Spritzer on the glockenspiel huh. to get around this. I don't think they actually played them, but that was like the way of – and they probably would have been paid as actor musicians. Like it's a different sort of contract. Jeez, that's um, a good deal. Yeah, so it's like – but that is like you have – sometimes like you would either have to add more – Players And there was a whole um, strike, I think in 2005 maybe, or like there was a strike some uh, like 15 or so years ago now um, where, yeah, it's because because the union wanted to reduce, like the Broadway League wanted to reduce the minimum the amount of, of players yeah. um, and the Musicians Union was just like, no, we think that then it's not an orchestra. Yeah, wow. and it's 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 an interesting one because it's kind of like well, not every show needs an orchestra. No, that's right. But then it's like they're trying to protect their yes. players. Like it's actually it's a, wonderful that this yeah, exists. Yeah, but so yeah, it's this, a, in the same breath. Like it's a really interesting thing. But yeah, to have like you know a minimum number of fifteen or whatever players because if you were writing a show now, I don't know that you would write for fifteen people unless you had lots of strings or something. You yeah, know, or a big brass section. Exactly. But, like, like you yeah. might not. Most, I think about it mostly like a band setup, like yep. maybe six or seven. Yeah, wow. Mm. Interesting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting one. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning that this is probably the only Broadway musical that I'm aware of that the lead character is specifically written for a person of size. Yeah. Like I'm not aware of any others. Yeah. And Broadway obviously has a long way to go when it comes to diversity of all kinds. We've talked about that a lot on, yes. on this podcast. But size diversity is also definitely one of those things. Like I think more than maybe any other type yeah, of, like, of discrimination. Yeah, like it's just not, it's just not, how people think when it comes to um, casting a character. It's like we have a very kind of like slim white person like model in mind. And I think that that stems from the fact that, you know, chorus girls and and these sorts of things, like that's how we make up shows. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, men as well, obviously. But like, yeah, it's like it's an interesting one. But it's, uh, you know, you often I guess could have like, oh, yes, well, we can cast that overweight person as like the the best friend or or the, the, the character role or whatever. But the fact that Tracy is the lead in this, yeah, I still think that like, I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I think that it's great that she gets the man and all that sort of thing in this show. Every now and then, it's like what I would love to see is a character where it's a person of size and it's got nothing to do with the fact that she's over, like. It's still kind of central to the storyline in this yes, show I that was she's going overweight. To say, like, that is still definitely a focal point. Yeah, and like there's a you know there's a lyric in the show, Tracy. I'm in love with you no matter what you weigh. Like yeah, you know like, like oh, it's fuck off. and it's like okay, but that's it. Like let's get Good to a place. You. I mean, I will say like um, Bonnie Milligan, who we've talked about a lot of times who's mm. a who's a um, Broadway musical performer who's incredible and she's and she's a she's a fat girl she would call herself that yes um and she 
basically she was the lead in Head Over Heels, which yes. was fantastic. And that's one of the things she talked about. It was like never an issue for them. Um, and I actually, again, I don't think it's that central to the character. Mm. So it's like, you know, they cast her regardless because of that. Of and that's where we should get to, right? Because she was the most talented person for the role. How wonderful. Yeah. And but how sad that we've got one name. Yes, exactly. There's one name that we have. Exactly. Because, yeah, like what there are really, but we talk about this when we talk about like say gender, um, gender neutral casting or colorblind casting yeah. where like most roles don't have anything specific about how the person should look. That's exactly so why right. why on earth are we casting them as yeah. if they do? Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, there's no shortage of talented fat people. Then yeah. why aren't they well, there getting was the roles? Well, there was even a case just not even in the, in the last two years, I think it was, Alicia Umphress who was in, oh, God, she was in American Idiot. She's an incredibly talented jazz singer mm. and, like, if nothing else, like, YouTube her singing some stuff because vocally she's incredible. Mm. She was in an off-Broadway revival of I think Smokey Joe's Cafe. Oh, yeah. And they, they, like the New York Times reviewer, like made a comment about the costume that she was wearing. And, again, I would not even call her fat. Like she's, yes, bigger than like the standard Broadway performer, if you will. But like, and and, like, yeah, it was like became a whole thing like where they literally criticised the costume she was wearing because they didn't find it, you know, in uh, quote unquote flattering, like <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Oh, that yeah. makes me so. Sick. We're still, we definitely still have a long way to go where it comes to those sorts of things. And I have to say, it's one of the reasons that I do think that hairspray, um, like I both applaud it, and I also think that they also, you know, still have a way to go in in their language. Yes, yeah, so they're and stuff. also a victim of their. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Right. Like, but it is. I mean, you know, the message of the it's show is to love is to love yourself. You know, like it's not yeah. about how you look and that sort of thing. And and obviously sh- songs like Big Blonde and Beautiful mm. and and songs like that really are, mm. a pr- you know, g- good messages for those things. And I think that they're important as well. Yeah, I get frustrated with Hairspray because I think Tracy is portrayed and, and this is a good thing and also I think problematic is like not caring what other people think of her or like right. but like it's like we have to perpetuate this like, well, she's so confident. And yes, absolutely. Good on her. Like, well, like, let's actually talk about it. Yeah. Let's, let's you know. Exactly. I don't know. I exactly. Just, yeah. The big girl has lots of confidence. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. Like it's a real trope, isn't it? Yeah. And the mum hates herself. Yeah. And, like yeah. it's just. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's a it's an interesting one. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like. Still an important work. Important. And like I said, you know, and then obviously also disappointing, like I said, when they then turn around and just cast a skinny person in a fat suit yeah. you know which happens a fair bit so yeah, god um so i'm gonna link to a couple of recordings that are available on spotify there is of course the original broadway cast there's the motion picture soundtrack from the mm. film and there is the hairspray live soundtrack from the mbc version um and some gateway songs so um a rare choice for me but i've gone for both the opening and closing numbers of the show is that that rare yes i do not normally do that well, not for a gateway song yeah so good morning baltimore is of course <laughs> Classic gateway. An amazing opening number. Yes. Um, I have to also, sorry, side note, I went to Baltimore in 2007 um, when I was on holidays. Uh, my mum was going to a conference there or something. Yeah. And I was convinced that everyone in Baltimore would know the musical Hairspray, this this musical about their town, right, their city. And they don't. And I literally, like, remembered asking, the, like, the front desk of the hotel if there was any like I thought like there might be a museum or something like I literally was like sweetheart this is a whole musical about your city like (laughs) and I was even like what about John Waters because of course he's from Baltimore yeah and no like it just wasn't 
That's just not something that they care no. about. I bet there would be some John Water stuff if I'd looked hard. But it's a big city though, right? The like, internet wasn't as robust then. <laughs> no, it's very true. Oh, that is sad. Yeah, but I just Isn't remember. is Baltimore more known for like murder? I think so, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I would go there and be like, take me to Leakin Park. Yeah, that's right, cereal. <laughs> that's, that was Baltimore, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Anyway, so I've gone with Good Morning Baltimore, um, the opening number, great opening number. That, again, has that Phil Spector. Mm. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. I love that beat. Um, the closing number is You Can't Stop the Beat, which, my God, like, again, like a fucking great closing number. I want you to give me $5 for every time you mention that song on this podcast. Right, but it is such a good song. Yes, it is. It's so it's high song. energy. Like, talk about it. If you want to get hyped up, yeah. like, put on You Can't Stop the Beat. So I read this article about, like, um, the reason why the song Don't Stop Me Now by Queen is, like, the most popular song ever is because of the tempo of it. And I think it has a similar mm. tempo to this because it's, like, it's quite fast. So it's just, like, ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, Like, it's it something is, about yeah. the tempo is, like, it actually triggers something in us. Oh, it's so good. So I think it's chemical. Yes, I, I would agree <laughs> with that. And then for my third song I've gone for just a bit of a contrast, um, the song I Know Where I've Been, um, which is the, uh, is the 11 o'clock number. Yeah. Again, not sung by main character and apparently apparently again Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman received quite a bit of flack they were like you can't have the 11 o'clock numbers sung by this other character and is he like Oh. And that is Motormouth Maybell, who's also the character who sings Big Blonde and Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and is, uh, you know, sort of the one who's in a way leading, like helping Tracy with her like civil rights journey. Yeah. Not a main character, but a, an important character. Definitely. To the story. I mean, those are two Pivotal. of the biggest songs. And Big Blonde and Beautiful, I think, closes the first act. Yeah. So, like, you know, like yeah. they're pretty big moments. But I, it is also, I know I have talked about this many times on the podcast, but my, my favorite thing in musicals is when it's like a very broad musical comedy and then it just gets very Lugs you with this serious song three yeah. quarters of the way through. Yes. And um, this does that really well. It's it a does. song about civil rights, about and segregation, segregation yeah. her journey as a black woman. And, um, yeah, it's 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 a really beautiful song. Yeah. And so, yeah, as a real contrast, but it's it's an important song in the Hairspray um, oeuvre. Yes, I uh, think those are good gateways. Yes, thank you. And that is Hairspray. Oh, thanks. I think you've sort of softened me a bit. I think you should re-listen to it because the music is banging i just think that's actually the problem with it <laughs> i think the music is too banging like it's yeah. just like oh i'm not in the mood for this yeah it's one of those for me interesting mm, it's like sickly sweet oh it's so catchy though and it like is catchy. fun yeah oh i just i, I like, like i've had a good time to the 60s I've, i like that i've had a good time listening to it this you week you look like you've had a good yeah, time yeah i really have now let me bring it down okay because i've had a sad time <laughs> listening to bridges of madison county yeah that's happy <laughs> what do you think of this music i'm so sad that i've never seen this on stage oh. um but i i remember recommending my friend go and see it when she was in new york just because it was jason Rob brown i knew it was on yeah and she's like i just cried the entire time she you was would. like i was just a puddle of tears on the floor yeah. like she yeah. just and she loved it um yeah. but obviously I love a lot of the music it's our sweet Jason Robert Brown mm. um but yeah no I've never seen it so I can't really comment on the show I have also never seen it but I will comment on the okay show. excellent <laughs> I love this show gosh I love it I love everything about it 
the biggest problem for me is that I can't separate a few elements of it to be really sure of like what I love so much about it. Right. Um, but the original cast is divine. Divine. In fact, I feel like the stars sort of really aligned for that, for this particular yeah. show. Um, it has all the magic of Jason Robert Brown that I fell in love with when I was a kid, like all the sort of recognisable voicings, the orchestrations, the melodic contours, like it's got all of that. But it's also got this like magic to it as well that is slightly mm. elevated. Um, it's a bitching story, and that cast, oh my God, I love it so much. Yeah. So, Bridges of Madison County is a book musical by Jason Robert Brown and Marsha Norman. Um, so, before I get into it, the plot, if you've read the book or see, have you seen the film? No, I don't think I have. Oh, well. Um, or read the book. Yeah, well, there's a book. <laughs> Just listen to this musical. <laughs> so, if you've read the book or seen the film, you will know the story. It's apparently, like in America, an incredibly famous film like or an incredibly famous book, like everyone is aware of it. Oh, yeah. I just don't think is a thing in oh, Australia. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it's like one of those films. It must be like one that's on I TV all the time. I think of it as like a, an English patient or like a very famous roman- romance sort of yeah. film, yeah. if you will, Casablanca style. Yeah, obviously that's, not that sort old. Of, that's sort of like yeah. enduring. Yeah, obviously it's not that old, yes. So – this is what it's about. It's about this woman named Francesca Johnson. She's an Italian war bride living in Iowa in 1965 on a farm, like with her husband and her teenage kids. So her husband is Bud and her teenage kids are like, I think Mike and Carolyn or something. Anyway, her family without her go to Indianapolis for the state fair for three days because they have like animals to show or whatever. I've been to Indianapolis. Have you? Yeah, I was there for like one night for a work thing. That's random. Yeah, it's super random. There's not that many places I've been like in, in the, the sort of the middle of America, but <laughs> yeah. that's one of them, yeah. Well, Bud and his kids were also yes. in Indianapolis for that state fair. So they, they go there for three days and in, the, in that time this National Geographic photographer Robert Kincaid shows up to take pictures of the covered bridges of Madison County, like they're sort of famous bridges in the area. Why are they famous? Well, so they're covered in they're like truss bridges right but they've also got like a full like a roof a roof yeah so it's like it's like a house almost like housing yeah right yeah so they're and they're quite cool to look at and is that a real thing yeah okay like people would really go and look at them yeah they're they're famous Yeah. yeah um so anyway, Robert Kincaid shows up and they fall deeply in love. Mm. They experience like this profound connection. Yeah. Um obviously lots of stuff happens and they, you know, they're um and are about should they actually follow through with this, but they have an affair. Um and Robert asks her to leave her family and go with him. But at the very last minute, she can't leave her life and she can't leave her kids. And this is all just over the place of that weekend, right? Four days, yeah, literally. Yeah. So it was originally three days and then her, like, the, I think the animals of the farm win some competition and they have to stay for an extra right, day. Okay. So it ends up being four days. Yeah. And it's like the day that the, her family come back, um, Robert says, like, okay, come and meet me at the bridge and let's run away. And it's just like the busyness of her family life and stuff means that she just, like, she doesn't make it. Um, I've, I've dropped my notes, so I'm going to just yeah, have to just bend down and up. get them. Pick just, them up. just hold one second. <laughs> hold, please. Hold, please. What terrible timing. So anyway, she she doesn't leave her life and they basically spend the rest of their lives missing and loving each other at yeah. the end. That's right. And because I always think that someone dies, but they... They it, just die when they're old. That's right. Like it's not... And like he's looking back. Is that right? Yeah, so... At the end, and it's slightly different to the film 
in the musical, but at the end, like, she, well, her husband dies first, like, Bud dies of old age, and she's just sort of like, oh, you know, la-di-da, I miss this guy who I had a four-day affair with. Yeah. And then you sort of cut to him, and he is old and sort of sick. Like, he retires from his job, and he's sick. And he writes her a letter and basically right. says, like, I'm, I'm, I've probably died now and, and you mean more to me than everything. And so the end of the musical is her receiving this letter right. and just being very sad that he's died. So everyone crying, it's more about lost love it's than it is. It's the lost love yeah. thing. It's totally the lost yeah. love thing. Yeah. It's not like, what's that movie with um, Robert Redford where he dies? Oh, oh my God. Uh, love Story? No. Is it- the mirror is oh, it the sorry, mirror has else, two faces. Oh right, it, does someone else die in Love Story? Yeah, the chick. Yeah, have you seen Love Story? Yes, but I was Robert Redford's not in dies. that either, isn't he? No, it's, oh, it's um, um, Tatum, Tatum, Tatum O'Neill. Tatum yeah. O'Neill. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the main plot of the musical. Yeah. Background. Okay, so Jason Robert Brown and Marsha Norman had worked together previously on this um, novel symphony. Oh. It's a novel Is symphony. Is that The Trumpet of the Swan? Yeah, adaptation of The Trumpet and the Swan yeah. by E.B. White. Yeah. Um, the production was really popular. It starred John Lithgow, Kathy Bates, Mandy Moore, Martin Short and Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Yeah, it was kind of like, isn't it kind of like, you know, like you used to listen to Peter and the Wolf? Yes, exactly. It's kind of like that, right? Exactly, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've listened to it before because, yeah. of course, I'm a massive J.S. Robert Brown nerd. And it's cute, yeah. right? So that show got, like, such good reviews, which was a novel event for J.S. Robert Brown. Yes. <laughs> they decided to collaborate again. Yeah. So J.R.B wanted to write something romantic because he was feeling really inspired by the opera La Traviata Good and he wanted to create something sort of grand with the sweep and scope of opera. Mm. Um, so he and Marsha Norman went searching for a story that would like suit and at the same time Robert James Weller's representative, so that's the guy who wrote the novel, um, his representative contacted um, James Lapine to see if he would want to make a musical out of the novel. Yeah. Um, apparently... Someone had made this like unauthorized musical of Bridges of Madison <laughs> County, yep. and the obviously the representatives were not happy with it, but they were like, "Ooh, a <laughs> this, musical! This is a thing that could happen." Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so Lapine didn't like the novel, so he passed it on to Marsha Norman because she is really good at adaptations. Yeah. Um, so like she ad- adapted The Secret Garden course, and yeah. Color Purple. Um, so like she's yeah, good. I really like her. Yeah, yeah. And th- that's obviously a strength of hers. So. Um, Thanks to Jason Robert Brown's cerebralness, he wanted to create this, like, octet and it had to be, like, eight voices. And you know how he's all, like, yeah. let's be clever and tricky. It's So it's just magic, of course. Um, Marsha Norman also did a lot of really clever adapting of the novel. I think it's clever. I will tell you why. Other people don't. Okay. But instead of the focus being on the children and what they discover about their mother, she wanted to focus on Francesca and her decisions in the present. Yeah. So for some context, in the in the novel and in the film, the film starts with the children um, as adults sort of going through their mother's possessions after she has died. Right. And so they find these letters and photos of this random guy, Robert Kincaid, and want to, like, delve into, mm-hmm. like, what is this thing we don't know about our yeah. mother? And they sort of delve into the story that way. And Marsha Norman decided, like, it just needed to be about Francesca and Robert. It didn't need to be about this, um, like, yeah. this other. And also it's really hard to do, like, flashbacks in exactly. a musical. So I really appreciate that change. Fans of yeah. the book and movie oh, didn't really? appreciate it. It makes sense to me that that would be the – the, a, a different framing device is necessary for musical theatre versus a film. That's right. It makes sense in a film. Yeah. And so, like, 
in the musical a lot more sort of um, scope was given for her Italian heritage and sort of where she had come from and how she was feeling at the time. Yeah. Um, and people said that they they felt like it just made her not very sympathetic. But Oh, interesting. I'll go into that in more detail, but I disagree. So anyway, yeah. she decided to change that and I approve. Um, so Jason Robert Brown did a few demos to sell the show to investors. You can actually find those on his blog, which I've linked yes. to. One of those songs was originally recorded by Shoshana Bean, who's like Jason Robert Brown's favourite singer of all time. Yeah. Um, in what I actually think is one of her best vocal performances oh, ever. Yeah, you should listen to it. So anyway, productions. So it originated at the Williamstown Theatre Festival for three weeks in August 2013. Yep. As I've mentioned, Jason Robert Brown was writing this at the same time he was writing Honeymoon in That's Vegas. That's right, yeah. So it's like busy time for him, really busy. That original production was directed by Bartlett Scher. Um, Stephen Pasquale was Robert and Elena Shadow was Francesca. Oh, yes, yeah. So Kelly O'Hara had actually requested to be Francesca very early on when it was first sort of being developed. Yeah. And so they had her on board from the beginning, but it just so happened that during this Williamstown Theatre Festival run, she was having a baby. Okay, right. So she just couldn't. Like I think she had it in the September or something. Um, she did go on to open the show on Broadway though. Yeah. So... Um, Am I right in thinking that Elena Shadow maybe played it on the tour or something like that? No, she didn't play it on the tour. No, okay. I think she was maybe the standby on Broadway. Oh, maybe that's it. Like I I thought she was still involved. Yeah. 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 Apparently, like by all accounts, she was really good. Yeah. But she just doesn't have the pull of Kelly O'Hara. No, obviously Kelly O'Hara is a legend. Yeah, that's right. So the musical then opened on Broadway at the Gerald Schofield Schoenfeld Theatre. Schofield, yeah. Yeah, it's got like an or N Schoenfeld. in it. Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld, thank yeah, you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, 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 sorry, I know the one. Um, in January 2014, starring most of the original cast with the addition of Kelly O'Hara and Hunter Foster as yeah. Bud. Yeah, was the Bud, it was Bud, yeah. Which is... Sutton's brother. Yeah, just to me. Anyway, I'm going to talk about oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. I love Hunter Foster. Okay. Anyway, I'll tell you about it in a second. So that production closed in May after 137 performances. The reviews were mixed. So the score was universally loved by critics, of course. But as we know of Jason Robert Brown, it doesn't really appeal to a broad audience. Like that music is not, I think, universally appealing. Yeah. Um, Ben Brantley of the New York Times called the show disproportionately long. Um, (laughs) Yeah, apparently it was quite a slog, but... Loved Kelly O'Hara and he, the score. He loves Kelly O'Hara. Yes, he does. I mean, does. to be fair, she's incredible. She but deserves it. But, and yeah. she did, like, she she won a lot of accolades yeah. because of this performance. Um, the show received nine 2014 Drama Desk Award nominations and won for Outstanding Music and Outstanding Orchestrations. Yep. And at the Tony Awards, it was nominated for four and won two Best Original Score and Best Orchestrations. Yeah, which is quite a, like... That's great. Considering the show flopped, yes, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so there was a US tour after that. There was a um, production at the Menier Chocolate Factory in 2019 and an Australian production at the Hayes in 2020. Yeah, I didn't um, get to see that no, though, No, which I didn't go see either, which is a shame. Yeah. Because I think was it, um, oh, what's her name? Houlihan. Oh, yeah. Um, Kate Marie Houlihan. Kate Marie Houlihan was yeah. Francesca. Was she? She's got a beautiful voice. She's got a beautiful voice. Yeah. yeah. So some facts. I was just going to say yeah. that US tour, I think the young man who was played the Stephen Pasquale role, I think he's the love interest on in Hunchback. He's like the, the captain of the guard on the ah. Hunchback recording. Pretty sure it's that, that oh, cool. same actor. He's got a beautiful voice. Interestingly, that actor didn't have like a link on Wikipedia, so he doesn't have a Wikipedia oh, page. okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I can't even remember what – I think it was Edward something, maybe Andrew something. I think or it's other. Andrew, Andrew's yeah. 
something. Yeah, but um, anyway, like, yeah, he sings on that Hunchback recording. It's a good, beautiful voice. Well, according to Jason Robert Brown's own words on his blog, he was really worried about who they would cast in the tour but was yeah. very happy with who they okay, got. Okay, that's good, yeah. Because, like, it's hard to follow Stephen Pasquale and <laughs> Kelly O'Hara, those voices. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, like I've mentioned, a lot of talk around the show is that if you are familiar with and feel any sort of affection for the original source material, you may be disappointed by the musical. Right. I actually find it interesting because I've seen the film. It's lovely. Like it's a lovely film, but I'm not passionately attached to it. And I still very much prefer the musical. Yeah. Interesting. I think the biggest complaint, like I've said, is that the musical doesn't use the lens of the kids, um, in order to sort of garner sympathy. Yeah. Um, also that Robert and Francesca are played a lot younger than they are in the novel or in the film. Oh, okay. So they're supposed to be sort of like late 40s, like, right. like really, you know, matured, but they're played quite young. And so my issue with Hunter Foster is but is Bud is that he's really young. He's a young man. Right. And you're supposed to believe he's got like teenage kids and they've been married for a long time and they're sort of like worn into their relationship. What like, year was it on Broadway? 2013. Okay. He would have been in his – he probably would have been 40. Yeah, I still think that's too young. Okay, Like I think right. that's the point is yeah. that they should be sort of really aged. Right. Like, and particularly because towards the end of the show, like in Act 2, they do age. Like you're supposed to see them as older, older people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, I actually don't have any problem with it. I know some people found it hard to be sympathetic towards the main characters without the framing of the distance of time. Like I yeah. think because nothing about the story actually changed, but a lot of people were just like, oh, it was very clear that they were having like a, an affair. Yeah. But, like, it was in the novel and the film as well. So I don't really know what right. the just, criticism is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's enough that Francesca is clearly unhappy in her life for me to feel sympathy for her. But some audiences really want her to have, like, a very good reason to have an affair. Yeah. But a lot of people in the musical are like, well, he's not that bad. Like, why are you having an affair? Do you know what I mean? Like, Right. Which is interesting because I think surely we're a little more woke to understand that yeah, there are and layers also like, to that. And also, like, She's got, had a connection with this person. Yeah. Like, like, can't she fell you just in love? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's interesting because I was from, of course, I was on a Broadway World discussion board, yeah. and people were just like, "Nah, hated her, not sympathetic at all." Ah. It was really interesting, but they universally said that her performance was stunning, mm. like Kelly O'Hara. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. What I do know about the show is that the songs are just. Like beyond stunning, perfect, stunning, and you know how I feel about Parade. Yeah, I think Parade is like a sublime work, but I think this is better. Do you think it's a better show though? No, I don't. No, see, that's why I've a always story. to me Parade is just like such a well-crafted show. Yes, yes, like, I totally agree. And again, like with this, I go <clears> see about <throat> half of it. I love song-wise. Yeah, and the other half, I'm like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some of, yeah. for example, some of Bud's stuff, I'm like, oh, I can take it or leave it. Yeah. I, you know? I totally hear that. And but I think, everything Francesca and Robert sings, oh, sign me up. Right? Sign me up. It's those voices, I tell you. Oh, they're so stunning. Because I've been, I've been meditating on this a lot and I agree, like the show, the whole package of Parade yes. can, cannot be beaten in yeah. my eyes as yeah. a Jason Robert Brown show. But I think it's almost like, it's like a little night music where it's like Follies of Sondheim's where it's, it's a more perfect product. Yeah. Than say Sunday in the Park. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's almost like but this is obviously like 
really pulled some heartstrings for you this week. You know what I mean? Like like it's spoken to you on a different level kind of thing. And it is, there's something about that like impossible love that is Mm. just a really, it's a nice like, if you want to be a masochist, yes, just get which you do, it, which I do often, <laughs> often, yeah. Um, but honestly, those voices, yeah, are just ridiculous. So you can only list like there's only one recording. It's the original Broadway cast. Yeah. So you don't need any other recordings. No, you don't. And I even think like when Hunter Foster is on there as bad, like he's got a great voice. Yeah, and I, also the kids. Yeah, the kids. Are Derek Klenner, correct? Who's fantastic. Yes. And Caitlin Canunan, I think that's how yes, you say her, her name. Her voice is so good. Yeah, and she of course was the lead in the prom. Yeah. Yeah, on Broadway. She's got this, like, crystal clear yeah. high belt oh, that's it's awesome. really awesome. Yeah, she's really talented. And there's a couple, like, what I love about the show is that it's not, obviously the central focus is the two main characters, so Francesca and Robert, but um, Jason Robert Brown was really, like, wanted to give lots of moments to other people because he yeah. wanted it to be this clear octet. And so you've got moments where, like, a member of the ensemble will come forward and sing a song that they're listening to on the radio mm. or, like, you hear a song sung by Robert's ex-wife who is not really in the show. Like, okay. Like is that just, another life? Yeah. Yeah, that's which a beautiful song. Which is that one that Shoshana song. Bean um, okay, sung that's on right. the demo. Yeah. But, like, I really love that about the show. I love that it's not just... It's not just those two main mm. characters and there's there's this sort of like cool folky feel to the music. Yeah, well, of course, it's got much more guitar in it than most of his shows. Yeah, much more. Yeah, which um, I love. And then there's at the same time there's like these – it is very operatic in the way that the music is constructed but it's also definitely like a nod to Italian folk music as well because of Francesca's heritage. I also like how um, Jason Brown, more so than a lot of modern composers, like it is – Proper soprano stuff. Yes, he wrote for a soprano. For us, like he's you know he's really written for Kelly O'Hara's voice in that sense, and she is an incredible um, soprano. You know, like like there's just very few women that can sing like that. And I didn't realize because I haven't seen her perform, but like everyone says unanimously that she is a powerhouse of an actor. Like. I've seen her on stage I think three or three times at least now, mostly in these like revivals of, yeah, of, of I saw her in King and I and I saw her in Kiss Me Kate and maybe something else as well. Um, and, yeah, she's just so I, – I can't even explain People it. People just but, call her like captivating and mesmerising yeah. because she's just like, like apparently otherworldly in terms of what she can do. And just uh, like actually – takes you through the journey of the show yeah. in a way that not everyone can do. And yeah. Yeah, she she is. She's really quite incredible. Yeah, so what I will say is that because I don't love listening to soprano voices, mm. so her voice to me is beautiful. I can hear that. But if you're like me and you don't love listening to those voices, like just know that she's also – this whole other talent, like she can also really transform. Exactly. Yeah, anyway. So some gateways. Mm. Okay, just listen to the whole bloody thing. Seriously, it's fucking stunning. But if I had to narrow it down, here you go. Also, just remember that I may be biased in that I have a deep, deep, deep enduring love for Stephen Pasquale. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you should start with Wondering, which is like Robert's sort of like first main song where he sort of is like wondering about whether he could fall in love with this woman. Then definitely listen to Another Life. Because it's like perfect Jason Robert Brown. Mezzos, if you're out there, yeah. you should try and sing this song. Just try because it's not easy. But then definitely listen to One Second and a Million Miles. <clears throat> Which it's, is the big duet, right? It's the big duet, yeah. Um, and then really to stick the knife into your already <laughs> mushy gut, 
get um just watch it all fades away yeah and listen to it and yeah. sigh and cry and it's yeah. so beautiful and that's um that's bridges you know of Madison there's County. a bit is it who we are and who we want to be there's like this ensemble choral bit yeah at the end of it that's so beautiful so like, beautiful like really unexpected yeah too. there's yeah. just some moments like that in the show that I really love yeah um yeah I'd like to see it just to me you too know, like, me too because I I also wonder if it's one of those ones where it do- just doesn't quite work on stage. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of the a lot of the reviews I read were people who'd seen it in preview, and apparently the set was quite clunky. So okay. transitions took ages. The interval was like forty minutes long. Yeah. So a lot of the issues with the with the staging of it and the problems with the musical were, I think, just the staging, okay. not necessarily the book. Mm. Um, which is, I think, not then a fair complaint about the show. Yeah. But something that should be fixed Because I sure. assume Bartlett Shirt also directed it on Broadway. Yes, correct. I would say he is at his best with kind of like big sets Epics, and yeah. like epic things and locations yes. and stuff like that, which I'm not sure that this musical well, I think needed. It, I think it needs the opposite of that. I think yeah. that's the problem is that it was probably treated as this big epic sweeping story. When it needed to yeah, be a little simpler and it simple. needs to be more about the music than about this big sort mm. of, yeah. And it's not, it's really not about the place or no, the time. It's no, just about them, them yeah. and their love. It's one of those shows that like on um, on Twitter, right, there's always these jokes, but like Revive Bridges is like a really big, like there yes. are people who just are obsessed with this show. And for really good reason. Yeah. Really good reason. It wouldn't be a hard one to put on. Like unlike Parade, which I think there are so many problems that you've got to surmount yeah. in order to put it on, this one would be an easy one to put yeah. on, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Small cast. Small um, band. I mean, you've got to have bitching voices, but yeah. most shows require that, particularly Jason Robert Brown shows. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Bridges. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Josephine. Will you come back again for another one? I think I will. Well, then. We'll <laughs> just keep going until one of us runs out of steam and quits. <laughs> On air. On air. I would only do it on air. Just so you know, I wouldn't do it in private. For the drama. Always for the drama. Um, Everyone, you can follow us on Instagram and My Favourite Musical. Yeah. Uh, You can email us at myfavouritemusical at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for a mixtape. Yes, a mixtape. And otherwise we'll be back in two weeks with another full episode. All right. That sounds good. Bye. Bye.